Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, February 9th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, health officials update residents on the vaccine rollout. Then, second draw loans through the Paycheck Protection Program became available last month. We check in with the Bankers Association. Plus, ahead of a virtual panel examining and celebrating the history of the black church, we talk to a Mississippi gospel icon. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi residents 65 and older are getting vaccinated in growing numbers. According to data from the State Department of Health, more than three in 10 Mississippians 65 and older have received first doses. State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs says the state-run drive through sites are operating at a high efficiency rate, but he is exploring additional solutions to make the vaccine more accessible to communities of color. It's really been pretty remarkable. We now have 39.4% of all Mississippians who are 75 and older have received at least one dose of vaccine. And 31.9% of all Mississippians 65 and older have received at least one dose. That's going to pay phenomenal dividends going forward, but we will continue to try to make progress within uh, these groups of people who are most vulnerable. We do have a separate phone line for people who are 75 and older understanding that the computer access is a gap for the drive-throughs. So if you go to our call site and, um, and you hit one to get an appointment, there will then be an option to get an appointment if you were 75 or older, a special line so that you can get in more easily, more quickly, and make sure that we don't run into those barriers for people who maybe are not quite as internet savvy or don't have as much time uh, to wait on a phone line. So we'll continue to work on that aggressively. And from a health equity perspective, we are continuing to work aggressively to try to help balance that gap. At present, 19% of vaccine has gone to African-Americans and that has ticked up just a little bit, but not anywhere near where we're satisfied. We're continuously monitoring um, which locations are most successful at uh, getting vaccines to our African-American communities. And those um, will be areas that we'll continue to support aggressively to make sure that we can sort of balance that gap. We know there's a trust gap and we've been working on that, but the access gap cannot be overstated. So expect to see other innovative approaches in the coming weeks as we work to try to overcome uh, those barriers for, uh, for, for, for black communities. Dr. Dobbs thinks there are some ways to overcome the barriers causing the disproportionate gap. One way, working with community health centers to reach residents in environments they can trust. Sometimes our partners are able to help us with that also. And, and even some of our community partners are doing mobile clinics and in, in locations that are especially helpful. Um, you know, I won't speak for them, but that's been fantastic. We've had some 
some of our partners go to um, black churches uh, and, and do sites there where folks feel comfortable. So um, a combination of going to good locations where folks are comfortable, lowering barriers and making sure we're getting, getting vaccine to physicians who have large um, African-American patient loads is going to be a, is going to be a successful approach, but we're not anywhere near closing that gap. Another way Dobbs hopes to bridge the gap is through the new federal partnership with Walmart. Dr. Dobbs says these sites were selected to address access barriers in parts of the state. We know that Walmart is going to start offering vaccinations at, um, it looks like, 31 different locations within the state of Mississippi. The locations were chosen in a manner to try to help balance out some of the gaps, whether it's because of different communities, uh, rural or otherwise underserved. So hopefully that will help fill some of that gap. To sign up to get a vaccine through the Walmart pharmacy, please visit walmart.com slash COVID vaccine. People will able will be able to get vaccine appointments at that website. When you put in your ad, your your location, your zip code, you will have an opportunity. But keep in mind, these also will likely go very, very quickly. In addition, we have another partnership that will be coming through um, local community pharmacies, uh, independent pharmacies. And when we have that list available and finalized, we will share that with the public as well. The rollout continues as cases of COVID-19 decline. The Department of Health reported 635 new cases of COVID-19 yesterday with one related death. The seven-day rolling average is now below 1,000 cases per day for the first time since November 11th. But state epidemiologist Dr. Paul Byers reminds residents the state just experienced its two most deadly months of the pandemic. To kind of put it in perspective, um, in the month of December, we did have over a thousand deaths. We had over a thousand deaths in January, and many of the deaths that are still being reported now, uh, coming up, will be uh, will be deaths that are occurring uh, in January as well. So we're not through counting all of those deaths that have occurred at that point. Um, so now's not the time to let off the gas. Now's the time to to continue to do those um, non-pharmaceutical interventions that we've been talking about the whole time. Uh, Vaccine is a big part of that. Um, So even with the vaccination, we need to continue to wear a mask, socially distance, avoid those um, larger gatherings outside of our internal uh, family and, uh, and limit our activities as best we can. While health officials urge residents to continue mitigation efforts, they're also anticipating new vaccines in the coming weeks. Dr. Dobbs says the Johnson & Johnson product could help boost vaccination numbers once it's available. We also are excited about the possibility of having another vaccine, uh, Johnson & Johnson or also Janssen. It's a a partnership vaccine. It's a single-dose vaccine, and a lot of people are very excited about that. We don't have full data on this, so we are eagerly anticipating getting these reports. FDA plans to do a review of this vaccine for possible emergency use authorization. Um, Probably several days after that, it might be available. When we think about this vaccine, there are some benefits in the fact that it is a single dose vaccine and it's easier to store. So we know that's gonna be a lot, uh, you know, a great advantage for this vaccine going into the next months. Um, It does seem that it has 85% efficacy against severe disease uh, and it looks like um, in the studies, about 100% efficacy to prevent hospitalization or death, which certainly is very important. Um, it is not quite as good at preventing any symptomatic illness um, when compared to Pfizer and to Moderna. So that's something we'll have to look at very closely, but we are encouraged to see that the vaccine does show great promise for preventing severe disease and death. Appointments for coronavirus vaccines for the state drive throughs will be available on the Department of Health's website sometime today.
Coming up, second draw loans through the Paycheck Protection Program became available last month. We check in with the Bankers Association. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi banks are working with small business owners to originate new Paycheck Protection Program loans. The federal program designed to assist small businesses stay afloat during the coronavirus pandemic reopened in early January. Gordon Fellows, president and CEO of the Mississippi Bankers Association, says the first round of PP loans presented a number of challenges, chiefly a more severe level of unemployment and an original fund from Congress that was depleted so quickly it had to be refilled. He details more on the second draw loans available through the federal program. There are also several technical changes um, to the to the program that the banks have to use to interface with the SBA, um, and, and and you know part of that is built around the new program that, that reopened in, in January allows for borrowers that qualify to, to receive a second draw loan. Um, and so uh, there's some, some stipulations in the legislation that require second draw eligible borrowers to have spent the funds from their first draw. And so the system has to sort of track all of that. Um, so, so the SBA did have to make a number of, of changes um, to, the, to the technology interface that the bank system used to interface with, with the SBA system. Um, but I, I say all I had to say, the second draw program is, is, is really important, and, and banks are making a lot of second draw loans. If you are a, bar, a borrower who qualifies just because the bank is having some issues, you know, that doesn't mean that it's the bank's fault, per se. It just means there's, there's, there's some technology gaps that the SBA has to close. So be patient if you're a second draw borrower and you qualify. We'll, we'll, there's plenty of money there. Um, the, the banks are going to get the loan to you. It just may take some time to work through some of the technical challenges. The second round opened early last month. How has the kickoff been? Are people jumping right in there, taking advantage of the program? Well, so, you know, you have to, 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 to qualify for a second draw loan, you have to, uh, you have to meet uh, a number of criteria. Um, like, for instance, you have to be able to show a quarter of, of, of significant revenue loss. Um, year over year, um, so some, some the, the, the the borrowing pool is narrower than it was in April. When in April the program was very much designed to get as much money into in, in, as many employer accounts as possible. They, they've they've Congress narrowed it and tailored it um, this time for businesses uh, to focus on businesses that that had you know significant financial loss. Um, so so. There has been plenty of demand, um, but it is, it, it's not been the same. So, 
where whereas in April, you know, it was almost like the doors were blown off. Uh, it, it's, it's more of a, a constant stream now, but, but not, um, it, it's not as intense of a demand as it was uh, in the spring, which is a good thing. I mean, it, I think it speaks to, um, you know, in April when this thing started, we were all worried about an unemployment cliff we were never going to be able to get over. You know, the unemployment rate in Mississippi in April was north of 16 percent, which is just unbelievable. Um, we're, we're, we're back at, you know, to 6.4 or 6.3 now uh, as of December. And we, we're not where we were um, in 2019, but but we've, we've closed the gap a good bit. And, you know, so in a way, a little bit of decreased demand for PPP loans sort of says the economy is, 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 is at least on the unemployment front is, is, is rebounded, you know, maybe more than some of us thought we would be in, you know, this time uh, six months ago or 10 months ago, which when, is a good thing. When a loan is received, I imagine there are parameters of how that money can be spent. What is the positive impact on business owners and employees? Right. So, so the you know the the key tenant of the program was um, get these government guaranteed forgivable loans into the hands of employers. If the employers use the funds for primarily for payroll um, to keep uh, employees employed, uh, then the loan would be forgiven and converted to a grant. Uh, that that is still the key tenant. There there are some 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 broader ways to spend the funds in addition to payroll now. Um, some operating costs that, that weren't included in the first round can be covered in the second round. Um, but payroll is still uh, the main focus of the program. D- does Mississippi lead the country because uh, all of the money in, or for most of the businesses, the PPP money went, went to employees? Yeah, well, it, it, it went to small. It, it led the country in that slice of the data because we have so many small businesses. Right. And so that total loan amount that a business is eligible to receive is, is based on how many employees work at a business and the total payroll of that business. And we have a whole lot of really small businesses. And so, you know, one of the national national media narratives that kind of developed was, you know, the Lakers got a loan and these big public companies got loans here. The loans were always focused on real mom and pop you know, small businesses with less than 10 or 20 employees. Um, and you, you can see it sort of throughout the data. That's why the the, the percentage um, of, of loans under $150,000 was so high. Um, and and I think we'll, we'll see that again here um, in this new round. We'll, we'll see even more sort of really small PPP loans than, um, than, than other states will have, I think. How long do business owners have to apply for this? Is it, 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 if I'm not mistaken, last time it was until the money ran out? Right. It, it's until the money runs out or March 31st. Um, I, 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 like I said, I, the, the burn rate on the funds available is so much slower than, than last time. When Congress reopened the program, they appropriated $285 billion. Um, so far as of January 31st, only 72 billion had been spent. So there's still over 200 billion available, um, which is a lot of money, right? So, um, you know, we, we were one of the most efficient states in the country in the first round of the program. And, and, and statewide, uh, we made about $3.2 billion in PPP loans. And there's still, like I said, there's still 200 plus 
available. So there's there's plenty of money. I I don't we're we're much less worried about funds running out than we were before, just based on the amount that the Congress appropriated. So so <clears throat> probably you know the, the question you ask: How long do borrowers have to apply? The, the program uh, expires in March. So we're in the beginning of February now. You still got weeks to do it. Um, but if you haven't already talked to your banker uh, or your lender about applying, you, you definitely need to get that, that process going. And that was my next question. Uh, the best thing to do is to contact your local banker to start this process. Yes, I certainly uh, encourage any business owner that hasn't done so already to do that. All right. Gordon Fellows is the president and CEO of the Mississippi Bankers Association. Gordon, thank you so much. Thank you, Karen. I appreciate the opportunity. Coming up ahead of a virtual panel examining and celebrating the history of the black church, we talk to Mississippi, a Mississippi gospel icon. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. From Mississippi Public Broadcasting and two Mississippi museums, you're invited to a virtual panel discussion on the history of the black church in America. Tuesday, February 9th at 7 p.m. Panelists include Reverend C.J. Rhodes, Bishop Ronnie Crudup Sr., Pamela Jr., and gospel artist Lanny Spann McBride. And to moderate the discussion, comedian Rita Brent. Space is limited, so register today at mpbonline.org. And watch the film The Black Church, coming to PBS this February. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. As you just heard, tonight MPB is presenting a virtual event celebrating the upcoming two-part documentary, The Black Church, This Is Our Story, This Is Our Song. It will include a screener of the documentary, songs from HBCU choirs, door prizes, and the panel discussion. One of the panelists is Lanny Spann McBride, renowned music minister, retired educator, and composer. She shares more about the role of music and the church. Years I've developed the concept that all music has spirit, and uh, the faith music uh, that we heard based on the preach words that we hear from the Word of God. Uh, actually, you know, I, in my uh, development of uh, music at the church and music at schools, there wasn't a whole lot of music for children, so. I began to write music for children. My dad said two things to me. He said, I want you to teach the children the hymns. So what I did, well, they were young people at the time. Uh, so I started arranging hymns with a gospel flavor uh, so that they could hear the words, know the words. And that was a departure to just be a uh, tool to draw them in. And at school, the same type thing. A lot of the music was written too high for children, so I, well, music has just been, it's spirit, and uh, a lot of the songs that I wrote for children were birthed from my own experiences of understanding what, even at the school when I wrote songs, I wrote songs with the purpose of why uh, people are people, why people exist, the concept of what the church means to me, and how music was birthed, I discovered that the church is not just an organization, but the church is an organism. There is life there. There's a principle that I used when I was teaching, and that is the concept that the only rule that breaks the rule for how we treat each other is human need. And that's what the church does. The church 
gives us guidelines of grace. Let's talk about the styles of music. We know about gospel music. Does oh, gospel music, uh, well, gospel music is good news. It's good news about Jesus Christ. That's what gospel music is. And gospel music has so many legs and so many, uh, so many prongs because uh, as many people as you have in the world who have their own gospel message, we can take that same Bible. Everybody got a different definition of what gospel music does and what gospel music is. But uh, a simple definition of gospel music is that it is uh, good news about Jesus Christ. It's joyful. It's joyful music. It's joyful music. I like that. But it, at the same time, it can be comforting. It can be uh, relaxing. It can be jubilation. It can be you can dance with it or you can cry with it. Whatever you need as a song, even in gospel music that would speak to your human needs. And you also talked about hymns, your father asking you to teach hymns to the children. Hymns are more reverential? I love hymns because it's a foundational. When you think about the history of the church, uh, the hymns were our predecessors of the gospel song. Many gospel songs have been birthed through the hymns. A lot of hymns have been redone. Uh, Oh, Happy Day became a major hymn. Uh, through the arrangement that uh, Edward Hawkins did. But it's in the hymn book, Oh Happy Day. So uh, was, um, Aretha Franklin did a, what a, what a friend we have in Jesus. She revamped the hymn to make it more interesting. But the hymns are part of the culture as well. When talking about the culture of the black church throughout history and, and today in the present, what stands out? What is the most important thing, the most influential thing that makes people's spiritual lives better? It's help. Uh, I have an acrostic for help, H-E-L-P, heal every lame place, H-E-L-P. The church is, uh, it helps. Uh, if you, Whatever you're going through, what you're feeling, even if, you were raised to just come to church every Sunday because your mom and dad would make you do it, you know. At some point, while you're there, you're going to hear something through what's been sung, what's been said, what's been demonstrated. It would be something that would influence you and uh, to, to embrace your own humanity and to understand how to plug yourself into society. Uh, like I said about Michael 6 and 8, to do right, uh, to... Uh, Try to make good choices, do the right thing, love mercy, learn to forgive yourself, forgive others. And the last one is to walk humbly, which you walk humbly means your whole world cannot be about you. That's what the church culture does to me. And it's just a comfort. Uh, if, if you have 10 people, you're going to have 10 different reasons why people want to be there. Just like you ask people why. Are they so disappointed that they can't go to church now? It's all, some is the social club. Some is uh, uh, a place where they can display their beautiful many talents. Some come because they know somebody's going to say something positive to them or about them or embrace them. It's a place where people can be accepted. And uh, it's also a place of power. Uh, you learn to learn learn to get strength out of those kind of relationships, out of those experiences. And we know that the church historically is the foundation of the civil rights movement. The civil rights movement was actually birthed out of the church. 
and the church was very much a part of the community. And uh, the way people thought about the church then is almost a different. We have we have used our own humanity and our own thing to revamp what even what a church is what the church is for. That's why I'm glad we're having this discussion because I think it's time for us to not only just that uh, to 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 look at look at the journey, and I'm excited about that. I don't know everything. I don't know all the answers. I don't even know all the questions. But I know that it's important that it's time for us to have this discussion because when you talk about the black church, you're going to eventually talk about the white church and the, and uh, uh, Asian brothers and uh, uh, Hispanic brothers, uh, uh, the Native American culture. Everybody has church, a church, have some concept of it. Uh, whether everybody whether everybody embraces it or not, it is a major influence on how we treat each other and how we treat ourselves and how we see ourselves. Major influence. Lanny Span McBride is a music minister, an educator, and a composer, and I thank you very much for sharing your thoughts with us. My pleasure. MPB, in partnership with two Mississippi museums, is presenting the Black Church virtual panel discussion event tonight at 7. Registration is required and is accessible through mpbonline.org. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.